The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. For those who are not coming to the Wednesday evening study, I'd like to put in a quick plug there. It's a great study, and if you're not coming in, you're missing out. It's a lot of good stuff going on there. So let's take your Bibles to, to uh, Psalm 1. Psalm chapter 1. And when you find it, please stand. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and, him, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinneth in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let us pray. My Father in heaven, what a wonderful privilege it is to be here, to stand before you people and declare your word. Father, I consider this a great privilege, and I pray that you will help me in this hour to do, to do a good job, to honor your name, Lord, to convict somebody of their sins, and most of all, Lord, to bring glory to your name. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I'm always interested in looking at what is in the background when I'm reading something, because there are many things, like I said, in the Bible that I don't understand, so... Now we have so many tools available that we can look and we can really study if we want to. The book of Psalms is divided in five sections. And each section of the book of Psalms corresponds to the five books in the Pentateuch, which are the first five books in the Old Testament. And there's a lot, an outline that I, that, I, that I found that breaks it down. Uh, this Genesis section runs from verses, I'm, I'm sorry, from chapter 1 to 41. And in this section, man is seen in a blessed, blessed state, the fall and recovery. So chapter 1 begins with the perfect man, which is the last Adam. We know that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm number 2 is the rebellious man. Psalm 3 is the perfect man rejected. Psalm 4 is the conflict between the seed of the woman and the serpent. Psalm 5 is the perfect man in the midst of enemies. Psalm 6 is the perfect man in the midst of chastisement. Psalm 7 is the perfect man in the, in the midst of false witnesses. Psalm 8, the repair of man comes through the man. We know who that is. And then Psalms 9 through 15 is the enemy and Antichrist and the conflict and then the final deliverance. And Psalms 16 through 41 is Christ in the midst of his people sanctifying them to God. 
The Exodus section runs from Psalm 42 to 72. And in this section, we have the ruin of Israel. Uh, anyway, it runs from uh, Psalm 42 to 49. And we have the, the first section run, runs from, it's the ruin of Israel. Uh, the Redeemer of Israel runs from uh, Psalms 50 to 60. And the Redemption of Israel runs from Psalm 61 to 72. Leviticus section runs from 70, Psalm 73 to 89. And in this, in this section we have the sanctuary in view. And that is darkness and dawn. And we have the tabernacle, temple, house, assembly, congregation is found in almost every one of these psalms here. The number section runs from Psalm 90 to 106. And in this section we have dangerous times and protection. And in this section we have the earth in view. Deuteronomy section runs from Psalm 107 to 150. And in this section we have the perfection and praise of the word of God. Now, to do a complete detailed study on the book of Psalms will take us a few lifetimes. You know how long it took to get through Matthew. We'll never finish it if we get into it. But today I want to talk about the happy life and the contradiction that we have here. The psalm begins with a contradiction to the way people view happiness in this world. The Bible teaches that in this world we will have tribulations. And a child of God is to find true happiness in doing the things that please the Lord. The pleasures of this world will never completely satisfy you. And if you do get satisfaction, it will only last a very short time. To be blessed is to be happy. Because the word blessed means happy. And happiness is only found when you experience Jesus Christ. In the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, from verses 3 to 11, you have the phrase, blessed on each one of the Beatitudes. And when you get through this list, it's a long list, 11 verses there, and you say, you almost get the impression that God wants you to know that you will never know what it's like to be happy in this world. From the moment you take your first breath until you go to the grave, it's nothing but crying all the way. You wonder what drives wealthy people who have enough money and they're always looking for more money in the process and the pursuit of making more. They neglect their families, their children, and when they finally make it to the top of the ladder of success, they find out that there's nothing there. And some of them are unable to deal with reality and end up committing suicide. According to the standards of the world, a big house, a good job, a big bank account, a few fancy toys is what makes people happy. But the wealthiest man in the Bible, after trying everything that is supposed to make people happy, including 700 wives and 300 concubines, concluded at the end of his life with this statement. Ecclesiastes 1 verses 1 and 2 says, the word of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity, all vanities, all is vanity. Whoever you are, 
in the world, poor or wealthy, if you don't have the Lord, you don't have anything. But the opposite of that is, and I can say that because being in a place like Avenal, when we go there, some of those guys are so happy, and you wonder, you know, being in a hellhole like that, how could they be happy? And they are happy, because many of them are saved. They are, they're happy people. In Philippians 4.11, Paul said, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Paul here is in prison, and eventually he was put to death. And in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 2 to 4, Paul talks about an experience he had in his first missionary journey in the city of Lystra. And he says, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such a one cut up, up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. How that he was cut up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Paul here is talking about himself. I do believe, and I had looked into several different commentaries on this, but I, I take the position that Paul died. He was stoned to death. And God raised him from the dead. And so wonderful things he said that he can't even talk about it. But you, you study the life of Paul, and he sounds sometimes suicidal in the way he expressed himself. And that's because I think that he knew how to get back up there, and all he had to do was get somebody to kill him. And somebody did kill him eventually. If you want to know that, that experience that he's talking about is in Acts 14. You see, to announce a person to do what some of these missionaries to go to places in the world where the gospel is not welcome sounds crazy and suicidal. But for someone who loves the Lord and loves to see people get saved, there's joy in doing that. And a child of God will never be happy unless he is doing something that brings not only happiness to himself, but to people around him. Bringing people to the Lord is always great. A man without God is like a person on a treadmill. One of the things I don't like to do is work out. Because you, you get on a treadmill, you run, and you're not going anywhere. You know? But man without God gets up early every day to go to work, to make money, so he can buy food to eat, so he can have energy to get up early the next day and do it again and again and again. That's what people do. And there are millions of people doing that in the world, exactly that. They never stop to think that God is good, that God is great, and that the lifespan of a person on the average is about 65 years. And after that, to the grave you go. And that's the end of it. Truth is that man without God is nothing more than a major tragedy. We know that every person desires to live forever. And we will, just in different places. One is eternal life and the other one is eternal death. Either way, you will, you'll go on forever, somewhere. The soul of man is always longing for something that will satisfy forever. And we know that. And that is only found in Jesus Christ.
Man was created to enjoy spending time with his creator. But all men by nature and practice are ungodly, with no fear of God, without desire to acknowledge him and give him praise. And to walk contrary to the law of God is unreasonable and dangerous, and to have God as your enemy is devastating. And so in verse 1 in Psalm 1, we read that blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. We're talking about a person who has made a commitment to turn his back on the world and to follow Christ. And for those of you who have gotten saved a little late in life, you know that this is not easy because it's hard to shake off some of those bad habits that we have. But you can do this. You will never convince an unsaved person that you belong to God by hanging around with your old friends. And truth, truly, you don't have to get rid of them. They'll go away. They will just simply go away when they see that you don't enjoy what they do or you don't do what they do. You don't drink, you don't smoke, you use foul language, all that kind of thing. They, they won't like you. You'll be weird according to them and they'll go away. But notice the progression of a life of pain and suffering. First, you begin by walking with the ungodly. Next, you begin to listen or take counsel from the ungodly. And finally, you will sit down with them and join them. If you listen long enough to ungodly people, eventually they will convince you and you will join them. As you grow up, this is for young people. If you don't have the wisdom to choose good company or to listen to your parents or the people who love you and care about you, your life can get very complicated. You can make a mess of things. It's one thing to take advice from people, but it's a different ballgame to take advice from, advice from ungodly people. But then we ask ourselves, what makes a person ungodly? Who is an ungodly person? I know some very good moral people, unsaved people. They just simply don't want anything to do with God. And we know these people. They're all around us. These people go to work every day. Some of them have good jobs. Some of them behave better than Christians, believe it or not. They come home every day at the end of their, their shift, and they do it again and again. And for the most part, these people are good members of the community. If you need a favor, they're always there to help you. Until you say something about God and the Bible, then they just want to shut you down. Some will say something nice because they respect you, but always make lame excuses for not coming to church when you invite them. They simply don't want anything to do with God. I don't know if you know anybody like that. I have a lot of people in my family that are just like that. These are my brothers, my sisters, my co-workers, my next-door neighbors, people that I know everywhere. They don't hesitate to help you until you mention God or things of the Bible. They just don't want anything to do with it. These are ungodly people. They have no fear of God. They never stop to think that God is good. They never thank him for their food, their shelter, their health. They have no problem blaspheming the name of God. 
on your face simply because they know that you are a Christian. They just don't care. They want nothing to do with God. These people think that everything is just fine and they're going through life just nicely. Completely unaware that death is only one breath away. Proverbs 12, uh, 14, 12 reads like this. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. It is always the ungodly who will look for ways to get you, up, to, get you to compromise. Again, for young people, this is difficult in the times that we're growing up, that they're growing up because there are so many distractions out there. But you as a Christian don't have to give in. You don't have to compromise. Simply because you want to keep that friendship, you shouldn't have to do it. If you compromise with ungodly people, one time they'll take it from there, and before you know you're up to your neck and unable to walk away. And so what's the remedy for this? Verse 2 says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. When a man delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night, he will be blessed. This is a happy person. Christians should be happy everywhere they go. His desire is, I think that this is the desire of every preacher to see, to see the congregation really get into the Bible, to really enjoy do what we do to serve the Lord. Preachers wish that every member of the church will be like that. But that's not always the case. When people get exposed to the preaching of the word of God, in a church like this, where we have, where we have a, good, a good preacher, a good pastor, who's not afraid to, to preach the word, you will expect to see this building full of people. But that's not the case. When I have an opportunity to preach or witness to someone on the street, the thing that is in my mind is, how can I convince you that this book is an amazing book? The Bible has the answers to all the problems in this life and the next. There are no problems in the next life if you are saved. But the tragedy is that the average American Christian or the average American home has a Bible somewhere on a shelf collecting dust and they never read it. The average Christian in America knows more about sports, video games, hunting, fishing, boating, electronics, things like that, than they do about the Bible. And this is a problem for us because we have young children who come to church and they're learning from you and from me. They're no dummies. They're, trust me, they're picking this up. If you think you can neglect your local church and get away with it, you need to think again. Because when your children grow up, they will be less interested than you are right now. And you will look back then, and you will realize that your children learned it from you. Our young people is the future of Christianity in America. And if we neglect them, we won't have it. It's bad already as it is. So I said, teach your children to love and meditate on the word of God. And when they grow up, if they decide to behave like the devil, you can say with confidence that you did your job, and now it's on them. 
But be sure that every time they do something wicked and they get in trouble, they're going to get kicked in the teeth. And they'll have no one to blame but themselves. Because you have done your job. Verse 3 of Psalm 1 says, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So that the happy man says that whatever he does will prosper. The blessed man is like a tree planted by the rivers of water. The rivers of water in here is symbolic language. We're talking about the Bible. The more Bible you get in your system, the healthier you will be spiritually. There is no, there is no way around this. But not only that, the Word of God is a cleansing agent. It will clean you up. Whatever impurity you have, if you get the Word of God in your system, it will clean you up. It will do a great job. The worldview for a person who is saved is different from that of an unsaved person. You can walk with confidence that you have trusted in the Lord and he will sustain you wherever you go. The word trees here is also symbolic of people. A tree that is planted by a river, even if a raging fire burns its branches, the roots will never be touched by the flames. And in the time that it's time for a tree to produce fruit, it will produce fruit because it's grounded in good soil that is always getting an abundance amount of water constantly, which is the word of God. That tree will recover. Isaiah 61 verse 3 says, To appoint unto them the morn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that, might be, that he might be glorified. You see, the trees that the Lord plants are not wild trees. As Christians, we don't do what we want. We follow our leader. We follow his word. And we're supposed to produce fruits. Always producing fruit. It's impossible to call yourself a child of God and just sit there and do absolutely nothing. It's just not normal. You never see a, a young child be born and remain in diapers for the rest of his life. Eventually they grow teeth and they get out of diapers and you see him running around. And that's what we're supposed to do in our Christian life. Keep growing. God has promised that, he, that his word will accomplish what he has sent it out to do. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 says, For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returns not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Oh yeah. God is going to get his return on the investment that he has made. Some people will listen and they will repent of their sins and turn to Christ. And that is done through the preaching of the word of God. 
and then some will ignore it. But in the end, either way, God is going to be glorified. Do you know the we only have two classes of people? Those who are saved, those are the saints. And in the words of J. Vernon McGee, he says that if you're not a saint, you ain't. He's always saying things like that. The conclusion of verses uh, 4 and 6 is that the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The ungodly is always unstable. Wherever you go, they can never find a place where they feel absolutely confident. They're always shaken up by little things. They have no, no confidence. You walk around in, in Sonoma County and, and with the spread of drugs now, it's hard to find a person that is completely sane. You know, a lot of these people are just completely cuckoo. The verses, you know, it's like, the verses exactly right. It says they're like the, the, like the chaff that the wind drives them away. You know, they, they have no confidence wherever they go, they have no peace. What we have here is two, two men, two, two ways, two destinies, one heading for eternal life and one heading for eternal death. And please understand that when we say men, we're talking about men and women. They're both included here. According to the Bible, there are no transgenders here. For the Lord knoweth the, the way of the, the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Perish here means lost. In Bible terms, this is an awful word because it talks about, speaks of finality. This is the end of it. To be lost is to be completely, you're, you're done. If there is something that you can be absolutely sure of is that the wicked will not make it into heaven. It just won't happen. Proverbs 10.28 reads, The hope of the righteous shall be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked shall perish. You, you can think of this of a, like a giant funnel. I know that is a very lame way to explain it, but I don't know any other way. If you enter the funnel at the wide entrance, as you keep walking into that funnel, the road gets very narrow and narrow until you be, get to the point that you'll be You'll be crushed to death. You'll be choked to death. Matthew seven thirteen says, Enter ye in the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go thereat. We call that the broad way. The opposite of that is in 14, verse 14, Matthew 7, 14. It says, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto, it, into life, unto life, and few there be that find it. The highway to hell is decorated with all kinds of beautiful artificial lights. You see the casino at night? I mean, it glows from a distance. You can see that place. For those of you who've been to Las Vegas, never been to Las Vegas, and now that I'm a Christian, I'll never go there. <laughs> Las Vegas is, they don't call it Sin City for nothing. Oh, yeah. You got millions of people walking on that Broadway, marching into an eternal separation from God to pay for their sins in the fires of hell. Now, the opposite of that is this you enter that funnel at the narrow entrance. And at first, it's very difficult because it's very difficult to, 
when you enter into your Christian life, when you have to get rid of, you don't have to get rid of your friends, but you have to change your way of life. Everything is different. But as you grow and you walk in your Christian life, you discover that it's fun. It's not only fun, but it's enjoyable to spend time with the people of God. Like, like Matthew said, he just loves to be here. And I don't know who doesn't like to spend time with the people of God. I love to be here. I like to come here. I enjoy being here. The road that leadeth into eternal life is not always easy in the world. And we know that. Things are getting complicated by the day. And more is coming. You'll see that in the near future, we're going to see, we're going to see who the real Christians are because persecution is, is on the way. But when you look back, you realize that it's a small price to pay if you're going to inherit eternal life. John 10.10 says, The thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they may have it more abundantly. God offers you eternal life. I think that everyone here is saved, truly saved. I hope that everybody is. Like I said, this sermon was intended to be preached down with the bad hombres. But... If you're not saved, all you have to do is agree with God that you are a sinner and that you need a Savior. And he will save you. You know? It doesn't cost you anything. Salvation is free. You don't have enough money to buy it, even if you wanted to buy it. I don't care who you are, you cannot buy it. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. And anyone who ends up in hell is going to be there because they, they chose to follow the devil and his angels. Matthew twenty five forty one says, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, unto everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. I hope that nobody ends up in hell in here. But if you do, remember that you, you don't have to go there. Jesus paid the price. And the hell that you deserve is being paid. You can have eternal life. Perish is an awful word. It means lost. You're done. John 3.16. I think everybody knows that. That's a universal verse that everybody should know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That whosoever is you is me, is anybody who wants to trust in the Lord and have eternal life. I want to worry about election and predestination. If you're hearing the preaching of the Word of God, you can always get the details on how God works these things out for His glory. You know, I don't worry about things like that, election and predestination. I just trust that. I was running in one direction, and God went after me and run me down, and now I'm saved. I don't know how God works these things out, and I try not to worry about those things. So I, I'm, I'm almost done here. You will never know, like I said, what it's like to serve the Lord. And the best day in your life will be the day when you trust in Jesus Christ. You'll remember that day. And if you're not saved today here, I hope that you do it. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, 
please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.